Deuteronomy 19, my title for you this morning is Knowing and Respecting Boundaries. Let me begin by asking you this question, what is a boundary? It's a rhetorical question, of course, but what is a boundary? Well, to quote Dr. Henry Cloud in the book that I recommended to you this week, on page 33 of that book, Boundaries, he says, and I quote, boundaries help us keep the good in and the bad out. Boundaries help us keep the good in and the bad out. In other words, boundaries are everywhere. Boundaries can be, for example, our skin. Boundaries can be the door on our house. Boundaries are everywhere. The Bible has a lot to say about boundaries, although it doesn't necessarily use language that we would associate with boundaries. Let me give you a few examples that perhaps you are familiar with but aren't aware of. The word trespass. In the Bible, there are two words for sin, sin and trespass. And the idea behind trespass is not that you tried to meet God's standard and fell short. That is what sin means. A trespass is, is when God says, do not cross this line, and you cross it anyway. That's what trespass is. And we have there an example of a moral and ethical boundary being breached. Another example of a boundary can be seen in the life of Daniel. If you're familiar with the prophet Daniel, he was taken from Israel into Babylon in a captive state. When he got to Babylon, he would not eat the meat and drink the wine that the Babylonians offered to him because that meat and that wine was offered to false gods. In Daniel chapter 1, it says that Daniel resolved in his heart not to do this. Even though wine was permitted in the Bible, and even though the meat was permitted in the Bible, he made a resolution in himself, let's call it a boundary, that he would not cross because his convictions were so. He would not eat that meat or drink that wine because that stuff was offered to a false god, and he would not give that god allegiance, so he drank water and he ate vegetables. That's an example of a boundary. God even gives boundaries to the waves in the Bible. In the book of Job, for example, when Job is crying out to God about the life and the difficulties that he is experiencing, God answers him in this long passage toward the end of the book of Job. And in one section, God says this to Job, Who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out of the womb? When I made clouds its garment, and thick darkness its swaddling band. And who prescribed limits? What's another word for prescribed limits? Boundaries. And who prescribed limits for it? And said, this far you shall come, and no farther. Here shall your proud waves be stayed. 
We see boundaries all over the place in the Bible, although we may not realize that what we're seeing and what is being exposed to us is, in fact, boundaries. Let me say this to you, church. One of the most difficult and challenging lessons that you will ever learn in your life, and certainly one of the most important lessons that you will ever learn as a Christian, is the lesson of boundaries. The lesson that you must keep the good in and keep the bad out by building proper boundaries in your life. It's a shame how many people fail to protect what's valuable because they fail to build boundaries. It's also a shame how many people have to endure hardship and unhealthy relationships because of the lack of boundaries in their life. Boundaries are not only necessary for a healthy, happy, and holy life. They are necessary for an accurate and biblical Christian faith. People who believe nothing at all or people who believe absolutely everything are people who lack boundaries. Think about it. Even heaven has boundaries. No one will be in heaven who does not acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. Jesus himself once said that, quote, a great chasm existed between heaven and hell. You know what a chasm is? It's a boundary. Our faith is one of important boundaries. Today, in Deuteronomy 19, we're going to see boundaries exemplified in three simple points. One, social boundaries. Two, personal boundaries. And three, legal boundaries. So without anything further, say amen if you're ready. Let's begin with our first point this morning, social boundaries. These social boundaries are found in the first section of Deuteronomy chapter 19, verses 1 through 13. First, let us address social boundaries. In this instance, the social boundaries are found in what Deuteronomy calls cities of refuge. Cities of refuge were designed by God as a safe place. A safe place where people could go and not fear for their lives. You see, the purpose was to create a safe place for manslayers. They could safely live there without fear of harm coming to them as a result of personal retaliation or revenge. A manslayer is described here in Deuteronomy 19, but it's already been described in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 42 where we're told that a manslayer is someone who kills another person, but does so, the Bible says, unintentionally. In other words, there is no hate, there is no animosity, there is no bad feeling, but one person is responsible for killing another. This is not first degree, second degree, third degree murder. This is an accident. This is unintentional. Nevertheless, people still seek revenge. People still seek retaliation, and therefore God created a safe place where these people could live without fear. These cities were called cities of refuge. 
There are obvious indicators in this text that there are social boundaries that construct what these cities of refuge would be. And you can see it in the language. Look at your text, if you would, please, in Deuteronomy 19. In verse 1, we see the words, cut off. In verse 2, we see the words, set apart. In verse 3, we see the words, measure and divide. Friends, this is language that indicates the use of boundaries. Today, we still see social boundaries in use. We have city limits. We have county limits. We have divisions between state lines. And of course, perhaps most importantly of all, we have boundaries around our countries. And these boundaries are called borders, or they used to be when we had them. Each and every country protects its identity and its worldview, hear me now, by requiring those who would be a part of it to enter in a particular way and subscribing to a certain set of principles. These are called boundaries. When you see boundaries, like borders, begin to crumble, it may be for a number of reasons. But certainly one of those reasons is the moral boundaries have begun to crumble inside the country, too. The reason boundaries exist are because, in this case, the country has an identity. And the boundaries ensure the provision of that identity. People who do not know who they are do not have boundaries. That's partly why they don't know who they are. Countries that do not have an identity, a history, don't have boundaries because they have nothing to protect and nothing to own. And perhaps more importantly, nothing possesses them. We must also appreciate the moral application here. Our homes should be safe places where our families can be made whole after being under attack by the world. Our homes should be places where our marriages can be built up, where our children can be encouraged, where our minds can think and our hearts can pray. The reason this is a possibility is because we have fences and doors with locks. We have, I think, in many aspects, forgotten the importance of boundaries because we have sold to each other and believed the lie which says boundaries are prejudicial. Boundaries are mean. But the reality of the matter is without boundaries, we cannot exist in safety. Even in the Bible, we see social boundaries. We see, however, the consequence of what happens when we live a life without boundaries, both physically and morally. Listen to one author, Raymond Brown, as he writes, Our children are growing up in a world where physical assault is the normal way of sorting out life's problems. 
cruel and callous revolutionaries who put a low value on human life are given all the media publicity they need and all under the guise of individual freedom and essential tolerance. Political ambitions are given a higher rating than human life. These forms of aggression are condemned in the teaching of Moses to the people. God is the living God. The God who gave life, human life, is irreplaceable and must be prized above all other values. That's why we have boundaries. But we see the collapsing of boundaries around our country in all the variety of ways I've already described, in part because morally our boundaries have become destroyed. Well, I've talked to you about social boundaries. Let's look at the second principle that we see this morning, personal boundaries. This is found in verse 14. When we talk about personal boundaries, we see this described with these words. Read it with your eyes as I read. It says, you shall not move your neighbor's landmark, which the men of old have set in the inheritance that you will hold in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Now, you already know the ancient Jews were agrarian people. They were horticultural and agricultural people. They made their money and they made their livelihood off of the land. And I'm sure you can follow, the more land that they had, the better their livelihood and the better their income. And when floods happened... Or when storms occurred, sometimes greedy people would see opportunities to sneak out when everyone is in shelter and move a landmark here or there so that they would have greater boundaries in their favor. One author writes this, a healthy respect for the law of property is an essential ingredient in the life of any peaceful society. The entire land is God's property. He has given some of it to our neighbors. Therefore, we have no right to snatch God's gift from them. God is a generous God, and a person's property must be respected. Man, that's a line we should be teaching on a regular basis today. In this instance, we're not talking about someone who didn't have boundaries. Both this person and his neighbor had boundaries. What we're talking about instead is not someone who didn't have boundaries, but someone who doesn't have respect for someone else's boundaries. People who don't have boundaries don't have respect for your boundaries. For example, as we see when we turn on the news, people walking into CVS and taking hundreds and hundreds of dollars of makeup or perfume or anything else, medicines, and they walk right out the door, the door that is supposed to be functioned as a boundary. The security guard is as useless as a rock standing there who is supposed to, by way of security and law enforcement, operate as a boundary. It doesn't matter if the boundaries are there if they are not engaged. When boundaries are not engaged, people without boundaries walk right past them. And we see this happening on a regular basis. And because the legal aspects of boundaries, which we will address shortly, are not being enforced and influenced on our society, stores are rather, and preferentially, closing down 
than dealing with theft in certain areas. They'd just rather close the store than say thieves are thieving and they should be put in prison. Let me tell it to you like this. Same if you're listening. The second you put up boundaries of any kind, they will be checked and challenged. The second you put up boundaries of any kind, they will be checked and challenged. I'm going to say this one more time. The second you put up boundaries, they will be checked and challenged. One of the reasons that this is the truth is because people don't like to be told no. This doesn't belong to you. This is mine. That's my money. My emotional state is not your responsibility. My property isn't yours. My joy doesn't belong to you. No. These are phrases that some of you have never even imagined using, but that's, that's not unfamiliar. The reason you have never imagined using any of these phrases is because you don't have boundaries. You don't have boundaries because you're hoping to find the joy and the happiness and the satisfaction that is required of any person to live a healthy life from another human being. And that is not God's design. And so they challenge you. You say, I'm going to put up boundaries. boundaries, And they challenge you. They test you to see if you're really serious about telling them no. To see if you're really serious about this newfound belief or conviction that you have, whereas you used to have no problem doing this over here. Now you've got a new belief system and a boundary has gone up, and so they're going to check you and they're going to challenge you. Friends, if you've never faced a scenario like this, if you construct a boundary, get ready, because you will. The reason, in part, that this is the truth is because we, as parents, say we, we as parents have completely ruined our children. We never told them no. We always told them yes. And we raise them into miserable, self-seeking, parasitic adults who think the world exists for them. They don't want to get a job and work hard. They want you to pay them for nothing. They don't want to save money. They want a four-bedroom house with three bathrooms today. They don't want to go from an efficiency to an apartment or from a one-bedroom apartment to a two-bedroom apartment. They want what you worked 30 years for now, and don't tell them what. No. Oh, you tell you, I know what you do. You, you, I, listen, I know some of you. You take a second mortgage on the house to give your kids a down payment because you don't have the backbone or the boundary to say no. And you're creating monsters for our society. You're creating monsters for our churches because these people come to our churches and they say, what are you offering me? And that's not what we're doing. We're offering you the word of God. What are you offering me? 
If you're here, you should be worshiping and serving. This is not a club. This is a membership that comes with a covenant. I serve you, you serve me. Together we serve Christ. We have an overarching purpose and vision that we aim to seek. But if you come and go, I'm not interested in all that kind of stuff, I just want you to help me, it's because no one has ever taught you the importance of boundaries. And so you encroach upon my boundaries because you find it offensive that someone would actually tell you no. If you're an employer, you deal with this on a regular basis. If you're an employee, you deal with this on a regular basis. If you're in a relationship, you deal with this on a regular basis, particularly before marriage, where you should have moral boundaries in place that are respected. This is how far we will go relationally, and we won't go further. Why? Because we're not married. That's called a boundary. A boundary is constructed to keep the good in and the bad out. But there's another principle that's present in this text. And I want you to see it. I don't want to dismiss it. While it's certainly true that we shouldn't move landmarks or boundaries, as it's called in verse 14, it's also interesting that according to the text, part of the value of these boundaries or landmarks is found in the fact that they were placed, and it says, by the men of old. Do not move the landmarks which were set by the men of old. In other words, we shouldn't mess with someone else's boundaries. At least one reason why we shouldn't mess with someone else's boundaries is because those boundaries were set by the men of old. In other words, they have historical value. They have traditional value. Now, in our society today, we hear things like historical value or traditional value, and everybody runs around screaming, not those who think like we do, but them. Listen to what Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16 says. Jeremiah 6, 16. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the what kind of paths? The ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. This is a very important sense for us to understand, church. The old ways are the good ways. There are some things that are non-negotiable and they're not old ways because it was 1950 or 1920 or 1850. They're the old ways because they are rooted in the scriptures. And we have lost our way in regards to some of these boundaries. There are ethical and moral positions that we should protect with boundaries of conviction because they were established by the generations that preceded us. And I think you can see what happens when we fail to do that. I think you can see what happens when we fail to do this. Convenience has become a virtue. 
Everybody wants to work from home in their pajamas. They want to Uber Eats everything. They don't want to leave their house. Convenience has become a virtue. Compromise has become a talent. Compromise has become a talent. This is true. Everybody goes, oh, they're so good at working both sides. No, they have no conviction. Compromise now is seen as a talent. Here's another idea. Commitment has all but vacated this place. It used to be that if you made a commitment, you fulfilled your commitment. It used to be that if you made your commitment, your name was on that commitment. And so even if it came to a point where that commitment, for one reason or another, and we all have to say goodbye to commitments on occasion, if it comes to a place where that commitment needs to be stopped, it was performed in such a way that everyone respected your character even though you relinquished the commitment. Now people don't care. You know why? Because it's all about convenience and compromise. If you are sold out for your own convenience and compromise, you are a person who lacks commitment. This is restated in the book of Proverbs, a book that's built around the fact that we have two ways to live, a wise way or a foolish way. And when it discusses this very principle, it says in Proverbs 22, verse 28, do not move the ancient landmarks that your fathers have set. Now, I'm not saying that our fathers had everything right. They didn't. I'm not saying that if something is old, it's righteous. No, there were plenty of things that are ancient or old that were very unrighteous. The principle, however, is the same. We should be living with some of the ethical and moral commitments that we see from the Scripture played out in history, but we're neglecting today. Not only are we guilty of this in our country, as we constantly remove landmarks that our fathers have set, both physical and moral, but we're guilty of this in the church too when we nullify or altogether avoid Christian principles that have been passed down to us by our Christian fathers and mothers so that we can be more accepted, more popular, more relevant, liked. I'm thoughtful of what Jesus said, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. Church, we must not move the boundaries set by the Bible and the men of old. We must not move the boundary of the Bible as the authoritative word of God. We must not move the boundary of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the blessed Trinity. We must not move the boundary of Jesus and his sacrificial death for sinners like you and me. We must not move the boundary of the Holy Spirit in his ministry in our lives as he sanctifies us and makes us more Christ-like. We must not move the boundary of the second coming of Christ and the victory of God over evil and evildoers. We must not move the boundary of manhood and womanhood, marriage and biblical sexuality. Doesn't matter what the NCAA says. 
It actually doesn't matter what anybody that has an initial like that says. If it comes out from a company that's got initials like that, you know it's, don't believe it. You must be skeptical, skeptical at all times. You should be skeptical all the time. Test it and weigh it. Why? Because you should have boundaries. If the CDC says X, Y, Z, don't put your boundaries down and assume that that person cares about you. Every single person in that industry has a spouse who's on the board of some industry that's making a billion dollars a week. They don't care about you. They care about power, authority, and money. Where's your boundaries? Every time somebody stands up and says something, do you accept it and receive it, or do you test it because you have boundaries? We see social boundaries, we see personal boundaries, and of course, finally, we see legal boundaries. Legal boundaries. This is found in verses 15 to 21. It says, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he, he's saying, presumably or allegedly has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the priests and the judges who are working at that time. The judges shall inquire diligently, which is to say the judges are not to be lazy. They are to inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness, that witness should get the punishment that they are hoping their brother would get from their testimony. The legal system must be built with boundaries around it. Boundaries that have markers like integrity, character, honesty, and justice. Without these markers, the legal system becomes nothing more than a tool in the hands of the person who possesses the most power. I feel like I just said the secret part out loud. You don't really trust the Department of Justice, do you? You don't really trust political players, do you? Let me say this in view of the section of Scripture that is being taught to us right now. God hates dishonesty because God is honest. God is not prescribing a set of rules and laws to us to follow while he rubs his hands together and laughs in a mocking fashion. The reason God's commandment says you shall not lie is because God is not a liar. God is honest. Scripture even says that God hates liars too because God loves truth. Scriptures are going to come up here on the screen. I know you're saying, that's a little harsh, Joe. Look at the scriptures, have whatever argument you want with me, but let's hear what the Bible says. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are, are an abomination to him. One, a lying tongue. If you have a problem with lying, God is against you. 
You need to get that right. Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Lying lips are an abomination. Friends, beware of false witnesses in your life. Beware of the people that you allow to breach your boundaries or who are in your life because you lack sufficient boundaries who are people who practice dishonesty. People who have no respect for the boundary of truth who lie because they care more about what they can gain using dishonesty than what they can maintain using honesty. And you know you've come into contact with someone who has a problem respecting the boundary of truth when you call them out on it. And they deny, deny, deny. And then when you show them the evidence, they diminish, diminish, diminish. Okay, fine, but it wasn't that big of a deal. If you have somebody in your life like that, you've got compromised boundaries in your life. I'm going to say this, and I don't mean this in an ugly way. When it comes to issues of what is right and what is wrong, people should be terrified of you. I love what 1 Samuel chapter 16 says. Samuel is the judge prophet who breaches the time in Israel's history between the judges of the past and Israel's first king, Saul. Samuel is the man. He's named Samuel by his mother, Hannah, because she prayed that God would give her a son, and if he did, he, she would offer him back, and God gave her a son, so she named him Samuel. God heard me. Samuel is told by God, go to the town of Bethlehem, and there I will tell you who to anoint to be the king. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, it says, while Samuel was on, their way, on his way to Bethlehem, the elders of the city heard that he was coming, and they shook. I don't know when the last time was that everybody became intimidated when you walked into a room. But I'm thinking that Samuel's life was so upright, so righteous, that his boundaries were evident to everyone around him to the extent that as he was coming, the elders were quaking. The reality of the matter is, friends, we must live with standards, and those standards should exude from us to the extent that even in our legal system, there should be an expectation of punishment against those who do not respect honesty or try to be dishonest to hurt another. Maybe we should need to get back to practicing this perjury issue. I mean, the 20 hours of community service is a bit of a joke, isn't it? This guy's guilty of 17 offenses. He's in and out, or she's in and out of the hands of law enforcement on a regular basis. It's just another situation of a career criminal because we're wasting time failing to punish what we should. With the advent of social media platforms, you don't have to be guilty of anything today. We are seeing verses 15 and 16, oh sorry, yes, 15 and 16 take place in social media. 
We have teenagers who are suicidal, riddled with anxiety, who are harming themselves, cutting themselves, because there are parents who did not teach their children respect, identity, empathy, and they tear apart other people on social media and ruin their lives, and there are no consequences for it. None whatsoever. I'm sorry to say I've experienced this myself. My family has experienced this. I, I have uh, had certain situations. I have articles published of me that are fabricated and insulting and negative. I've had pictures posted of me with false statements being made. I have someone who is hounding me, has even reached out to my family, who continues to change their number. The FBI is involved. Can I tell you how useless the FBI is? Oh, it's not funny. It's... It's, they are useless, absolutely useless. Because if you have boundaries, people are going to check you. People are going to challenge you. And as unclear as our society might be in regards to God's standards for legal proceedings and the boundaries that should operate like landmarks, honesty, justice, character, integrity, None of that exists up there. None of it. Do not expect the systems that are in place to protect you. Do not expect the systems that are in place to protect your family. You must live your life as if you are responsible for your safety and the safety of those who mean the most to you. If you think like that, suddenly boundaries become incredibly important. If you haven't been already, you will be. If you haven't been challenged yet, you will be. And if you haven't been challenged, it's because you don't have boundaries. Everyone who has boundaries gets challenged. Everyone who has boundaries gets checked. And you might come across situations that happen something like this. Once you pray about it, read the Bible, say, I don't know if I can keep this job anymore. That happens. Once you read the Bible and you say, I'm lacking boundaries in this area, you start constructing boundaries, then you say, I don't know if I can keep this relationship anymore. Why? Because boundaries have a purpose. You keep the good in and you keep the bad out. But when you don't have boundaries, the good and bad get mixed. And before you know it, you realize that you've maybe been in a relationship with someone or you've been pursuing a career that doesn't honor God. And the only reason you're in it is because you lacked boundaries. I had a friend who was in advertising and very successful as an advertising agent, and one of his clients was one of these strip clubs. He became a Christian, and he gave 
that client to somebody else. He would no longer work with that client because God gave him a boundary. And he respected the boundary. That is the principle of what is right and what is wrong. If you build boundaries in your life, things are going to start bothering you. Your boundaries are going to bother them, but God will respect you, and God will bless you. To close, let me say this. Without boundaries, we cannot be and will not be the healthy, happy, and holy Christians that God is commanding us to be.